Our scripture reading this evening for the sermon is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 19. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So one of the side effects of my, uh, of my new medicines is uh, short-term memory loss. So that is now my carte blanche ex- uh, uh, excuse for everything. Thank you. One of the things I'm going to, one of the things I, uh, if you're familiar with my teaching and preaching, Sean, you're not as much. One of the things I like to do a lot is I like to go in and out of a text. I, I like to, sometimes I want to dial in on something and then dial back out. I just, to me, it, a lot of times I'm listening, I, I really, I, when I, pr- I pray as I prepare what I'm going to speak in advance, I, I ask the Lord, to, you just, and I, and I you know, it's, a, it's a very subjective process, but there's no other way I can do it really. And, uh, and I, I really wait for this Holy Spirit to kind of speak to me. About, I go, oh, and one of them you're going to get tonight, and that is near and far. I, I don't know what it is about that language, near. Uh, this is far. This is near. Well, I'm going to have fun doing this. Far. I didn't even think about that. This is going to be fun. Near, far. Oh, I'm going to do that the whole night. Okay. Now, uh, and I like this. You'll notice what happens twice in our, in our text. It happens, verse 13, is the first time it happens, and it happens again. Now, interestingly, if you look to your left, it's a couple pages, if you look at the word of absolution from Isaiah 57, you take a look at them, you'll see where it says, the fruit of the lips that say what? Peace, peace to those what? Far and near. It's right there. It's a direct quote. This concept, far and near, it's all over the Bible. And, and in this particular text, it's, it just kind of sang to my heart. I, I found myself kind of beckoned by, and I want to 
I want to explore what it can teach us and how we can think like this and, and what the benefit of thinking like this might be. Okay? So we need to explore it together. Oh, by the way, it's near and far. Kind of a funny way to talk about relationship to God. Why? What's the immediate logic problem that happens when you talk about being near and far from an eternal God? Omnipresent much? <laughs> right? I mean, are you what does omnipresence mean? If it doesn't mean that nearness and farness are, have no meaning, really. Not for the objective presence of Almighty God. Right? Period. So it must, be, it must be saying something more deep. Or is he trying to get at something with this? Something in the nature of his closeness, right? Or something hinting at something else. So that's, that's what I want to explore. That. And this far and near kind of continuum, it kind of suggests something. I had a cup of water, but I can't remember what I'd do with it. Uh, oh, oh, I just need some water. Thank you. This will be fine. Thank you. Um, I don't know what I do with the cup. Oh, that front row's too much, huh? It's too much, huh? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. I don't think I'm contagious anymore, but why, why risk it? All right, so. And these, are these my complete notes, or is this my complete notes? No, this is. So the near and far thing, it really intrigued me. Because as a metaphor, we, we can really start, we can start opening it up. Look at the Isaiah 57 passage again for us right now. Isaiah 57, it's the, it says peace, peace. And you probably have heard that expression before, peace, peace. To alert you, as I, I like to do, is that whenever Hebrew repeats itself twice in any context, it's, it's either for some sort of negative or positive emphasis. Now, in this, in this case, especially with Shalom, this is the idea of perfect peace. That's what the idiom, that's the Hebrew syntax really means. When he says peace, peace, he's saying perfect peace. Now, peace happens four times in our text here. So you can tell Paul's been right in Isaiah 57. You know what a thrill I get? I don't know if you guys ever think this way, but I'll be reading Isaiah 57, and I think to myself, wait a second. He was reading Ephesians 2 and looking at this, just like I'm looking at it right now. I don't know about you, but I kind of like that. The idea that the scriptures are in front of me that were in front of him. And that's how real the connection is in the scriptures. So what I want to do is explore with, with some depth of the insights that we might be able to garner from the near and far metaphor. And, and so the, the first thing I'm going to claim, I'm going to actually take it three places. And I'm going to talk about the way that the near and far describes objectivity, the way the near and far describes, describes a, the, the nature of a relative availability. And I want to, to, to explore how near and far invites us to look at the trajectory of people's lives. Try to figure out what, 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 where are they going? What's going on? It invites us to think about where people are in their story and how we can reach them. Anyway, I, Recently, like Jesus, oh, it's, 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 it's all there. It's kind of exciting, I think, to see how the text blossoms. Next week, we're going to look at the nature of peace in this text and what, what that irene, that peace, that shalom uh, peace 
is. But these ideas, first they describe, I sense, I think in a, in a way that's kind of important, in a way, <laughs> you know how sometimes an idea comes to you after you've been looking at something for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and then you're looking at it, and you're like, I and this is the one that came to me at the very end. But I thought, it should have come to me right away. Near and far is describing kind of, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's locational, right? It's, it's plotting yourself against something, right? To say something's near or far, you have to have what? An objective point of reference. It's just that simple of an idea. And this is where it comes from. In the Old Testament, you could always figure out where you were in relationship to where the temple was. In fact, going to temple, going to the temple during the, a couple times a year, etc., was a journey you would make. And being near or far had an immediate, an immediate kind of a, an application, right? And if you, know, if you left the land of Israel, where are you? You're far, and you're also far away from anybody who knows God, right? And, and so the distance and the proximity questions, they become immediate questions about what are you doing? Where are you living? How are you living? Where are you going? Are you near or far? And so immediately, presented to us as kind of like almost raw, in a way I didn't see immediately. It's describing some, something objective in the world, isn't it? It's kind of, it's, that's what God is saying in this kind of language. And I, 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 there's a, it's kind of, and then that's, that's where this language of temple, oh, you know, this text, well, verse 22, which I did not include and I wish I had, ends by saying we are what? A temple. We are the temple. We're the temple the Holy Spirit builds and God lives in. Paul's eyes were right on Isaiah 57. He's thinking this, the fruit of the lips, preaching, oh, it's all right there. And then the temple itself. <gasps> near and far, near and far. How does the temple tell us that God is near? Well, on the face of it, 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 it it's, uh, I live in a house now, so does my God, right? It's, it's, it's a sort of proximity and a familiarity that you wouldn't think came from an eternal God who dwelt in unapproachable light from everlasting to everlasting. Oh, no, he's shacking the little shack next to the other shack over there. He's living with us. Living among us. That... That's near. But if you go towards that temple, if you were to walk towards that temple in the, in the days of Paul, if you were to try to, any one of you, without being a Jew, there were signs. There were signs outside the temple saying, if you go in here, you die. We'll take a look at that in the weeks again, the dividing wall of hostility. But, but the temple also inside. Inside. There were walls. Saying God is far from you. Far from all of you. But he's near. Isn't that amazing that temple tells us both things? Ah, oh, this near and far concept. Yes, it's about the objective presence of the Almighty God. All right, I begin here. I begin here because the near and far language. I think about people who are near and far. I think this is very much focused on people outside the kingdom and stuff like that. 
And the first gut reaction is just, this reminds me, this text reminds me, it, 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 it forces me to, into an attitude, an attitude of thankful compassion. My God has known me. And I, I remember what it was like to live in a world without any objectivity. Do you remember that? Does anybody remember what it was like to live in a world or to live out there and not know up from down, not know if that pundit's right or if that woman's right or what truth is? I mean, you're swimming. The best-looking guy to come along to tell you something's right, and we all go, well, it must be right, you know, because we lack all objectivity. And, and, and the reason I bring it up is that we as Christians, sometimes we get, we get so used to having truth and having the comfort of truth and having the reliability of truth and having, it's like, a, like, a, it's like almost like a little security blanket. It's like a little safety blanket. Oh, yeah, I got truth. I, got, I have absolute truth all the time. So you all can go jump in a lake, right? We get like this. We get insulated and we forget to live with compassion with others. Because this far and near language, anybody who loves the Lord and loves people, you're, you should be very alert to this because people far away, are, well, they're in danger, and people near, well, are they near enough? You see, it's not. And the first thing I think of as God begins to describe his objectivity, and we enjoy it, is that we remember we remember how dark and how hard it is out there right now. And we have compassion. Why am I bringing up this compassion? It's going to become elemental. Elemental for us navigating what near and far tells us. What it really tells us about people. I, I just, this attitude of thankfulness and this attitude of, of remembering where people are at and how lost they can be is the beginning of loving your neighbor well, I think, really, to be honest with you. All right, so let, but let's go on, because this all, all I want to do is kind of get an attitude about objectivity. Let's take a step further. I want to create more awareness. I want to raise your awareness. That's what happens in this text. He's trying to raise your awareness a bit about the near-far dynamic and what it means for you and meant for you and means always. Now, what does he do? What does he do? He, he begins to describe a life about God. That's what's in verse 12. I don't know if you, you, know, if you got that or not, but he talks about that. Look in verse 12. A people without God, what are they? They are Christless. They are communityless. They are friendless, hopeless, and they are godless. The, this, this enormous description of what it means to be locked out, to not, to not even be close. Close to what? Close to what? Close to what? Far from what? Close to what? What's all the things they're missing out on? It's all the closeness of being anywhere near the work and love of God. Don't you know this? So throughout history, from Adam on, God had a core people. Always. So, you know, we remember some of the names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Enoch. And as his plan through history, remember, he started before time. As his plan through history was coming unfolded, right? The people of God had the love of God and the promises of God and the law of God in them. So if you were friends with them, 
you always got a square deal. You always got a generous deal. You were always blessed by their presence. In fact, if you watched Abraham long enough, you start, you might even start doing business like him. Because look, look how he does this. It's such a good thing. It's whole. It's I can rely on him. He, he, and, and so what, I may not know who God is, but because I'm encountering Abraham, what am I encountering? Friends, community, life, hope, God. Even though I might not even hear about God right away, when, I'm, when you're around believers, you don't even, people don't know it in your life. They're bouncing into people who care about things that the other people in their life don't care about at all. That's very different. Very different. You realize it's been a privilege to be anywhere near the kingdom. Anywhere. <laughs> and there's an idea of being nearness, being near. Now, you, know, you notice being far and being near doesn't mean you're a Christian or not a Christian. That's not what that means. If you notice, it's in verse, uh, look in verse 9, is it verse 19? He came and preached peace. I need a text in front of me. All right, there it is. All right. He came and preached peace to those far and preached to, the, to those who were near, right? What verse is that? That's verse 17, thank you. Came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. What's the implication? They both needed Jesus. Being near didn't mean you were a Christian. It just meant you were around it all. So you got the benefits. And what it meant, if you're around the church, if you're around the teaching of God, if you've been around the covenants of promise and the commonwealth of Israel, there was like an overflow. You could catch some drops here, and drops here, you get a little truth, and maybe you get a little bit over here. And yeah, it happens all the time. So to be far is to not have even that. And when you don't have any of that, you're in a bad place. You're in a bad place. But I don't think that's why Paul's telling us about it. I don't think he's telling us so he can feel sorry for these people. And like, he says, remember. He's wanting you to, to get in your head. Remember, remember that contours. Remember that what he described. Christless, communityless, friendless, hopeless, godless. Okay, what is that? Those are assessment tools. You want to understand, it is up to us to discover. There's a lot of far people. We, we live in a culture right now, it's all far. There's some nearness, some people are near to the king, have been near, they've been around church, they, they've heard some things, but most people in this city are far. They don't have access to even the periphery of Christian culture. So what, is this, what this text is telling you is, if you want to reach people like this, you need to be aware of everything they lack. They don't, they're separated without Christ. They, 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 don't have, they don't even have an anchor. They don't have a concept of community that's whole. They don't even have a concept of friendship that it feeds them, that has ever fed them. They're alone. Hope to them is fantasy, not waiting on the living God. <laughs> totally different, right? It's like the same, not even the same words. Now, what's important for us if we would love people? Remember, he says, to use the near and far understand your context and to understand the people God has placed you among. It is up, it's very important for us, and you can tell that, that he spent time doing it, quantifying and describing all the fallenness around us and giving it some, some features so we can say, like, like to understand Genie or to understand the campus. What is it of these features? What, what do they lack? Because if we don't do that, we're not even going to speak a language they understand. And, and I think one of them was Loving things we can do, right, is use language people can understand. 
One of the things I want to grow as a preacher, and Deepak, Deepak's really good at this, and I, you can learn a lot from Deepak by hanging around him. I'm not kidding here. This is not, because, because, because of his desire to be an evangelist, and that is, is meeting people where they are at and what they can understand is the only way to authentically love. Otherwise, you're full of it. You're not really loving anybody. And it's not fair to tell people, you know, to, to use Christian words when they don't even understand the basic idea of what that is yet. <laughs> anyway, there's a beautiful, I think that's a part of the remembering. And the near and far becomes ways that you can begin to say, oh, wait, now, so you know, here, you know, I, you know what I do it every single time I meet a new person out here? I'll come up and meet them and say hi. And I'm immediately listening, trying to figure it out. How near or how far are so that when I preach the gospel, I might be able to reach for Jesus. You need to do that everywhere you go. And I think it will increase your love, your tenderness. Anyway, I get excited about this. I get excited about the possibility of us being more effective in witness and being able to understand things. Now, let me, let me, let me make something very, very clear here. The people who were near, who had access to, uh, you know, the Messiah, kind of teaching about the Messiah and the commonwealth, and who had access to the, the laws and all that. <sighs> when they rejected Christ, they sinned against everything they knew. They had a greater judgment than those, than those, than those far away. Do you know that? Those near had a greater judgment than those far away. Because they had all these benefits. And they rejected Jesus. So don't think people that are near have, have an advantage. It's all up to God's power, right? It's all up to God showing up. It's all up to God choosing and electing and loving and entering the world with love. And that's what he does. Praise him. But if he's entering the world, he's doing it through you and me. And he's sending us in. And that goes to my last point. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to see how near and far has a way of describing objectivity. And objectivity invites you into an attitude, I think, of thankfulness and compassion. Because you have it and they don't. But as you have the better attitude, you need to fill in the attitude with a good assessment. You need to understand how much is lacked by those around you in order to meet them in the places they lack, in order to explain things that they can't get. That's kind of beautiful. <sighs> but that's just a setup. And... And we'll get down to the action, the action here, what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to do what Jesus does. You look with me at verse 17, because it's the best verse in this text. I don't know if there's better verses than others. Am I allowed to say that as a preacher? I don't know. All right, there's three things that Jesus did that we are called to believe in. And these three things that Jesus did we are called to imitate. He came. All right, what's the first thing he did? Advent. He came. He showed up. You get the near and far. This is very important for that near and far concept because he didn't go to those far, bring them near, and then bring them. No, he goes to the far. <laughs> Just that? He, does, he, doesn't, so he doesn't even command in the text. You know, you know what you need to do? We need to bring people who are far near, and then once they're near, we can tell them about... Where does Jesus go? Where does Jesus come to? He comes near and far. Oh, but he came. We're on the, the edge of Advent. 
That's what Advent's all about, the coming of Jesus. That's it, that's it, y'all. He came. What does that teach us? Oh, you have to go. Are you expecting somebody to knock on your door and ask you about Jesus? Really? Is that what you're hoping for? You want somebody to ring you up? That's not what Jesus said when he said go. He didn't say wait when it came to evangelism. He said go. <laughs> so go. This idea of Christ coming to us, and we're going to celebrate in Advent, this great joy of the eternal God comes. Isn't this where we began? Isn't this where we began? Because isn't that what the temple promises? I'm going to come and live with you and live in you. It's the promise of incarnation. It's the promise of presence. It's the promise I'm going to show up. And you know what? This generation is waiting for us to show up in their lives. I really, we must go. We need, this needs to be us. Jesus came, we, we need, we, Jesus needs to go there too with us. And this is the imperative. This is the evangelism. This is the call of the hour. So if we have this, he came, what did he do? All right, what are we going to do if we're going to go? Going to preach. You going to preach. You ever hear, do you ever hear that Jesus was a preacher? A lot of times people are kind of surprised. <laughs> no, Jesus was a preacher. I love that. Jesus was a preacher. Um, I've heard this expression over the years. Um, preach the gospel. Use words when necessary. You heard that? You heard that? I hate that. Because anybody listening to Jesus, that, that guy never stopped talking. He could, why? Because he was the word. Made sense to me. There's going to be words wherever there's a Christian who loves Jesus. And there's going to be words about the glory of Jesus. And it's going to be about, it's gonna, but there's going to be words. <laughs> you know that word preaches? Euangeliazzo, euangelion, euangelion. The good news is. Preaching is not even the word for it, really. If we're going to make it into a, a good, good old-fashioned American word, we call it good news in them. That's what it says. It's just called good news and good announcing. The good announcing of Jesus. Where to go to bearing? Good news. Good news about what? Separation from God has been healed. A community of love and faith is open. You know, it's, just like, it's, it's meeting the very hungers described in that verse where this, because what is this hungry, what is this generation so hungry for? Community, you know, all these very, very things that they have, hope, anything like, peace. None of it. None of it at all. You don't even get to taste it, really. So we good news that Jesus was a preacher let our words be words, gospel words. And I know we get scared, and I know we're ashamed, and I know we're feeble, and I know we're shy, and I know we're like little rabbits around people. But we can pray for boldness, can't we? We can pray for God's work in us. Do you know that, do you know that Paul asked? Paul, Paul is a great preacher. Paul asked people to pray for him, that he would preach the word of God boldly when he was sharing the gospel. Who preaches for, who pray, who asks other people to pray for their boldness? Bold people? No, timid people ask that. 
That's a great comfort to us, isn't it? That the apostle needed prayer. He needed Holy Spirit power to be bold. He looks so bold in the Bible, doesn't he? That's all prayer. He's telling you that. He's told on himself. He told on himself. That's what a great, what a great picture and encouragement to our hearts. What do we, so we come, we preach, we speak. It's good, what do we speak? What did Jesus preach? That peace to look at. But he himself is our peace. It's him and his work on the cross. It's him and his work on the cross, freeing us from sin and judgment and death. In this, it is, and it's boldly going. And it's, oh, and, and you know, it's right that moment where you get to that, right to the content, where you're going to sit down with a modern intellectual and tell them you believe a man rose from the dead. And you're like, that's nuts, Chris. And you know what God says in the scripture? Yeah, I know it's nuts. I'm in it. Take risks with me. Get out in front of me. Jesus came, preached peace to those far and near. And I hear an invitation beyond attitude and assessment to action. To action. To engagement with somebody. You know, I want to encourage you. I want to get in this with you. I'm dead serious, y'all. So I write them down. I'm going to write them down. So I think I told you this story. Uh, one time, uh, Kunal, when Kunal was walking down the aisle, he was walking down the aisle to, get, to come up to get baptized. I'm sitting over here waiting to preach. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, that's funny. That's funny, Kunal. And I've known this guy for years. I have in my prayer list a name, K-U-N. A-L, which in my mind I always pronounce Cunnel. I don't know why, I just didn't, I didn't, I never connected with a young man I've been praying for for years was coming up to be, to be baptized by me. <laughs> I didn't know it until it was happening. <laughs> you, you believe that totally, it's totally believable about me, isn't it? Yeah, and so I could be that, that, that absent-minded, right? I, I, I want to tell that story here. So what I would do is I would go to all the campus pastors and I'd say, give me the names of every single person you're sharing the gospel with. Every person you have a heart for. I'm going to pray for all of them. We'll pray for all of them until we... And we saw person after person after person come to faith. And I want to do it again. <laughs> I just... Wait, we need, we, we, we're, the fields are ripe. This is, a, this is a really big harvest field we're living in. And we're not seeing a lot of fruit. And I'm getting extremely frustrated. And I want to get out there. Maybe this entire sermon was just for me. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that one, Father. But near and far, ah, did you think, did you even imagine that, they, we, uh, that we could uh, get that much out of that idea? I'm going to leave you with some things, some, uh, some, uh, some things that, uh, some notes and Remember kids in the church? Kids are near. You can't assume kids are Christians. They're near. They're around it. We have to be very intentional about children and about young people in the church and about loving them well. One of the, uh, I was really constantly trying to reach out to Luke when, when they were worshiping with us regularly, but I just haven't seen him in a little while. But, but, that's, but that's the kind of awareness we need to have of those around us. Are we tracking? 
We also need to be ready, ready when folks come in from far away. Because um, it can be, it, it can be um, when people are coming in from far away, they, this is a terrifying place. You have to think for how very far away people are intimidated by every detail from like walking in and not even knowing to go upstairs. Do I go upstairs? Is this place empty? Am I in the wrong place? Bam, I'm gone. People do stuff like that all the time. It doesn't take much for people to get afraid. When people are going from far, far away, it's very easy for them to get mislaid and, and waylaid and distracted. Sometimes we must watch carefully because sometimes folk in the church are just near, just regular members are just near and are not born again believers. Sometimes we also have to take care of this, and this is one of my saddest parts of this story, is I think a lot of the modern church, a lot of the church, at least in my experience, has specialized in, it seems like, driving far people further. <laughs> far further. And, and, and what a lot of the megachurches are really focused on are kind of disaffected Christians that kind of fall in the middle of the belly. They're available to Christianity in some way. And so they can get them to the show of the big mega church. But I'm talking about the other groups. I'm talking about the people that, for whom we don't think there's any chance. That's the folks I love to lead to Christ. Because, you know, that's, that's where my parents were. That's where I come from. I come from that world. I come from far away. I was raised far away. Whew. So far away from the Lord. And I saw things in that world that you should never see as a child. That's what far away does, you see. It's a bad place. So I hope, I hope that the sound of the gospel tonight not only encouraged your hearts, but, but challenged you and, and to, to, uh, to obedience. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you came and preached peace to me when I was far away, without hope, without you. <laughs> we give glory and thanks and praise and honor to such a God for such love. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for sinners. I thank you that you yourself are our peace. That's what he says. You're the peace. You are the peace. Father, we need stories. and We, we, we crave we just, just descending and, and, and into the mission field and into this work. Maybe we're not even ready. Maybe we're crazy. We, 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 how are we ever going to get ready unless you just go ahead and do it? We pray for that privilege, Father, of bringing your gospel near and far, wherever, whoever you shall call. Oh, Father, you know, all this talk of being near and far, it just makes me want to, you're all nearer to you. I pray that we would be known as a church that's near to our God. Those folks are near to him. Near in that way that's just in you, of you and through you. We thank you for the nearness the table tells us about, the intimacy we have with you and Jesus. Amen.